As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Unheard. Have you heard of the Zoe app? Perhaps you remember it from the COVID days, when people here in the UK at least were using it to log their symptoms. Or perhaps you or someone you know is now a proud subscriber of Zoe, wearing the Zoe sensor on the arm which measures blood glucose. I went to a wedding the other day and women were wearing them proudly next to their cocktail dresses. It's everywhere, it's a phenomenon. The numbers we have suggest that as many as 117,000 people may have subscribed already, and there's supposed to be a waiting list of 300,000. We wanted to find out, how scientific is it really? Do its claims stack up? Beyond all the marketing, what are the effects of these kind of products in the real world? To look into this, we've enlisted the help of Deb Cohen, you may remember her as health correspondent of BBC Newsnight, when during the pandemic she managed to smuggle out some of the most balanced and sceptical coverage of the so-called interventions, perhaps of anywhere in the mainstream media. She became science editor of ITV News, and now she is taking her passion for evidence-led science to question some of the claims that are flying around the media all the time, trying to hold people to account. Welcome to Unheard, Deb. Thank you, Freddie. Lovely to meet you. So what is the Zoe app and what does it claim to do? So the Zoe app is part of this whole personalised nutrition movement where people can monitor all these different biomarkers, things that are going on in your body to give personalised dietary advice. Now, it's a serious subject, personalised nutrition. We see the National Institutes of Health in America, a very august publicly funded organisation, have a whole programme looking at this area. But what this does is you get an app, you you quite bluntly, gets a whole package of measurements that you have to do. So one of them is pooing in a poo hammock and you send off a sample in the post via Royal Mail, let's hope there aren't any strikes, where the gut microbiome is measured. On top of that, and we'll come on to what that means, on top of that, you get what's called a continuous glucose monitor. It measures the amount of glucose in between the cells to give a constant readout that you get 
on a graphic, on your app, on a computer. It's called a Libre. That's why I see people wearing those yellow round things. Yeah, the they big Zoe branded, big yellow label Zoe branded. That That's covering up a, a continuous glucose monitor. It's a little spike that goes into the arm. Apparently it doesn't hurt. I haven't tried it. And it measures the amount of glucose in, in your body. Uh, and then you do a little pinprick. You get a vial for, for a blood sample. So uh, to measure fats in your blood. Right. And you... So it's kind of the neck. It's one level up from wearing a, a phone that checks your heartbeat or one of these Fitbits or something that or a sleep monitor. That, that was the sort of first phase of these health monitors. But this is something quite different. This is where there's actually procedures which are measuring blood and it suddenly got very medical. It's very medical. And it's, it's interesting you say that because as we know, well, in theory, medicines, medical interventions are supposed to be quite tightly regulated. It, it seems to operate in this kind of weird space between wellness and diet and, and health. So then you're getting all these, these readouts of what's going in your body. And the theory is there's an algorithm. We hear lots about big data and you know machine learning. There's an algorithm that then tells you, you get a personalized diet based on readouts of these different measures. There's the gut microbiome and we house trillions of kind of different microbes, like bacteria, things like that in, in our gut. And these are thought to play some kind of role in health, whether that's inflammation, diet, all these things kind of going forward. It's also pretty expensive, or at least it costs quite a lot. So as I understand it, the subscription is $24.99 a month. And then if you want the full testing kit, that's a further £299 a month. So potentially we're talking about £600 or more. Yeah. And so you can imagine the kinds of people who can afford it aren't necessarily people who need it most. So there's a, and, and actually, to be fair to Zoe, although it's not necessarily on its website, when it's when it's producing studies um, from the results, it's it's harnessed. And this is one of the big promises of it. You are taking part in one of the world's biggest nutrition studies. The people that have largely been studied to date are young, healthy people from a from European background. So some of the doctors and academics I spoke to said, well, that potentially limits what you can infer from these kinds of studies right. that result from Zoe. So you've done a real deep dive on this. You've spoken to a number of doctors, healthcare experts, as well as talking to the people at Zoe themselves. And I really want to go through for our viewers and listeners what you've discovered. So the promise of this app or system is that it measures these biomarkers such as the glucose, the gut biome, and other blood tests. And it produces a quote-unquote personalized nutrition plan. It's supposed to improve energy levels, reduce hunger, help you reach a healthy weight, make you less bloated, make you sleep better, and avoid chronic health issues. That's a long list. It's, they're, they're pretty powerful, pretty powerful claims. Um, and the people I spoke to said, we just don't know whether it does that, there isn't good, robust evidence to support the claims that Zoe, Zoe's making, that their personalised plan delivers on all those fronts. The guy on whose reputation all of these claims rests, and we're going to come on in a minute to look at the different studies and the, the science of the claims, he's called Tim Spector. We know him well because we've actually interviewed him on this channel. He got quite famous during the COVID pandemic because the Zoe app was collecting all of this data around COVID and the symptoms. What's his story and how did he become an investor or a shareholder in what seems to now be a multi-million dollar business? Well, Professor Spector's quite an interesting character. I mean, he's had several 
parts of his career. I think he's said that himself in various media interviews. For the record, we did ask to interview him and speak to him about the claims, but he didn't get back to us. So I'd just like to make that clear now. Yeah, he's been a rheumatologist, which is the study of joints and bones and disorders around there. He's been um, an epigeneticist, so looking at the way the environment affects our genes. And he set up what was a very well-regarded twin, uh, big twin registry, looking at all sorts of aspects of, of twins. And, you know, twins are so closely genetically alike, but they might have different attributes. And that helps us understand a variety of issues. Um, but then he's he's done twin studies that seem to suggest that the way they process food, even though they're genetically so similar, might be very different. They might have very different weights. One of that, obviously, is diet. And then he came to the conclusion, another aspect of that is something called the gut microbiome. And actually, if you look at the history of the Zoe app, it actually started off in this sphere around nutrition. And he presented his gut biome, microbiome theory to in, in, a, in a big presentation, and he got two co-investors. And they decided they wanted to commercialize Tim Spector's theory about the gut microbiome. Then actually COVID hit, early days, they had this app that was able to monitor diets um, and get quite, quite detailed information from people. So they pivoted to COVID. This was before we had widespread testing to track um, the spread of COVID. And he's been credited as being one of the first to, to raise the idea that loss of smell and, uh, and taste were almost diagnostic of, of COVID. They were, they were COVID symptoms, quite specific COVID symptoms. So he built this huge subscriber base yeah. during COVID. Yeah. And then he's invited that same group. I think, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people were, were taking part in the study during millions. COVID, but it was even in the millions. And he's invited them all. He's got a decent number of them now to be pivoting back towards his true passion, which is the gut. And it looks like it's commercially working out quite well. He, he raised 5 million during COVID in government funding. It seems now that there's been $27 million of funding going into the Zoe app. And one CEO, at least, has valued it at £209 million as a potential value for what it's worth. So this is potentially big business. Yeah, the wellness and actually personalised nutrition space is big business. Wellness nutrition, actually the value of that market is actually higher than the drug industry. It's a huge market worth billions upon billions upon billions of, of dollars. Um, and they're in that space. And one of the criticisms that was made, actually, given that the market is so crowded, that it this personalised nutrition element is what it makes it stand out in the market. And we've seen like high profile investors join the ranks. I think Stephen Bartlett, who does Diary of a CEO and he's a, he's a BBC dragon, he's invested two million. And if you think about it, it, it comes in a space for tech. Tech, you know, really interested in wellness and you've got all the gadgets and gizmos that go along that with the apps, the monitors, the measurements and big data and machine learning. So it's cornered this mm. kind of part of the market. Now, the question is, is... I should say he's not the only celebrity who's endorsed it. No. Uh, Davina McCall, the UK television star. I'm not sure what exactly her arrangement is with the company, but she's certainly a ambassador, promoter for it. She's talking about helping to live her best life and it's the greatest gift ever, the Zoe app, that's quite something. And even Carrie Johnson, the wife of former Prime Minister Boris, is a fan of Zoe. So they've got some quite powerful 
uh, sponsors and backers and ambassadors out there in the media. Absolutely, and and you know, Davina's very much on the front foot talking about and, and what we about the menopause, and we've noticed that a lot of their marketing as well is targeting uh, women in in you know the, their peri menopausal and postmenopausal period of their life. Um, and she made a claim that that was you know the pre-menopausal microbiome is quite different to the postmenopausal biome. Davina McCall did. Davina McCall, and that's why we feel differently now. You know, you might you might question that, might raise an eyebrow at that. Where's the evidence for that claim? And, and there might be other reasons why people feel differently before and after menopause. Be. Exactly. And on TikTok, people are talking about their journeys with Zoe and looking at their kind of glucose levels and talking about need to get it flatter and avoiding spikes. And so there's a lot of talk around it. And actually, when I speak to medical professionals, actually, they're thinking this is quite, you know, who who you'd have thought maybe would look at evidence in a slightly different way. They're intrigued by this prospect and, mm. and um, testing it themselves or using it themselves. Um, so, you know, it has got a big fan base. And actually, if you look at their website, it's not surprising. I mean, it, you've got the names of Stanford, Harvard, King's College London, you know, all over it because that's the research team that are working on it. And then they've got publications such as, you know, Nature Medicine, the BMJ, my old employer, The Lancet, all over their website. And, and they link, and this is, this is what's really interesting. This is why you have to get quite forensic. They link to abstracts of research publications. Now, I've been a journal editor. I know an abstract can only tell you so much. You actually need to read the full paper, which is what I've done with my co-author, Margaret McCartney, who is a, a GP in Scotland and is very into evidence-based medicine. We've accessed these full studies um, and they're behind access controls on, on websites to read the kind of detail of what the studies can or can't tell us. So let's let's dig into some of those then. So the, the first question is this this matter of the glucose monitors and whether they are appropriate technology for healthy people to wear. Uh, what has your research kind of revealed about that and the people you have spoken to? And we've spoken to a range of people, I mean, including from the National Institutes of Health in the US who are, who are conducting very well-controlled studies into these machines through to people who are, are working in metabolic medicine, consultants, metabolic medicine and dietitians. And, you know, there's, there's consensus actually for people who have type 1, type 2 diabetes who use insulin. These are really valuable devices because you can track when you need to tweak your insulin. Because if your glucose levels go too high or too low, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Mm. It's not the same necessarily with a healthy adult. Our, our glucose levels are under constant homeostatic control. You know, they go up, they go down, we release insulin, we release another hormone called glucagon, and it's, it's constantly kind of in balance. And what's really interesting is speaking to people, they're like, we don't know. We might be able to define what disease looks like, that's diabetes, and even that, and again, working on a medical journal, you can kind of see sometimes these thresholds a really subject to debate what a disease actually looks like and the parameters of disease. Doctors don't always agree and, and pre-diabetes, diabetes falls into that, mm. that kind of rubric. But for healthy people, we don't always know what full variation looks like. We don't know, and this is what they were telling me, we don't know what spikes and dips, what the short-term impact on health is in healthy people this is, let alone the long-term healthy impact. 
So, for example, Dr. Kevin Hall, who's from the National Institutes of Health, they've done some really rigorously tightly controlled studies on these continuous glucose monitors and where people go and spend a month at the NIH in America in their clinical center. They sleep there. They live there. They have their exercise controlled. They have their sleep controlled. They have their meals controlled. So researchers know exactly what is happening to their bodies, what they're putting in and out. Because one of the issues mm. we know- And what have they found? And that? what they found is that two different glucose monitors, so they've looked at two particular brands, one of which Zoe uses, and that's the Abbott brand. One goes on your arm, one goes on your tummy, and they give very different readings. So you can have a meal and one will tell you your glucose is high and the other one will tell you your glucose is low. So is that because give... there's different amounts in different parts of yeah. the body or is it just the well, me- there's different don't measure very accurately? Well, again, there's all sorts of hypotheses what, what that might mean, but we know there's inter-device variability. Mm. Then on top of that, they looked at the same device what happens if you eat one meal one week compared to that same meal another week? So they change the circumstances, the regime that someone's under in week one compared to week two. And that same meal can give very different readings. So this goes to the heart of the claim of the whole project, because the idea is that by monitoring your glucose, you understand what a bad or a good level or reaction looks like, and you adjust your diet accordingly. But if we can't trust the measurements as much as perhaps some of the users do. And if your body might respond differently at different times to different meals anyway, what's the basis for the whole technology? Uh, and, that, and that's a good question. They might say, Zoe might say, and they haven't said this to us, over a period of time, those fluctuations average out and we get a readout of how well your blood body responds to glucose. The issue that Dr. Hall said is that's not how it's used in real life. And this is what doctors have told us as well, where people are looking at their Libre, these are the graphs that come up on their phone and go, oh, my glucose is too high. And they've been going to see their GP thinking that they've got diabetes. Yeah, you've actually spoken to GPs who are reporting this. Yeah. People coming into their surgeries really anxious about their glucose because they've been wearing the Zoe app. And it turns out they're totally healthy, but they've just been worried for no reason. Absolutely. And so you, the question then becomes, how much are we increasing health anxiety? Um, and there's an issue around there. There's a, there's a term in medicine called overdiagnosed. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So... On this question of spikes and troughs of your glucose level, what we've got is potentially hundreds of thousands of people shortly who are really obsessing about their mm-hmm. glucose level all the time and possibly drawing the wrong or completely kind of random conclusions from it. It's not making them healthier, it's making them less healthy. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that is the area of uncertainty until we've... And at the moment, and what I'm very cautious of is we're unpicking... The science, we don't want to be guilty of bad science ourselves and relying solely on anecdotal evidence, but this is the point of thorough evaluation. This whole process needs evaluating properly and the impacts of using this kind of device. Um, because the other one of the other things we say, you know, we've we've uh, we've been told and we haven't, you know, quoted individuals because of patient confidentiality is that people sometimes are severely restricting their diets. And what happens, and this is again what we've been told by doctors is because people can trace their glucose, you can't trace the other metrics day to day, but you can look at your glucose. Glucose is the metric that becomes the be all and end all. So glucose becomes the measure by which you experience things. Oh, I'm feeling stressed. That must be because my glucose is going up and down. Or I'm waking up in the middle of the night because, oh, look, my glucose is dropping. And they don't know how to necessarily to interpret it. So you've spoken to Dr. Shivana Misra, who is a consultant in metabolic medicine at Imperial College London. And she says, we have no robust evidence base to suggest that those rises and falls are signalling anything untoward in the present or that they have negative consequences in the future. Furthermore, there's a risk that everything becomes glucose related. It's human nature when you're monitoring something, you become hypervigilant about that. So it's this sense that these kind of applications, and this one in particular maybe, are making people obsessed potentially about a a measure that they don't fully understand and that they can't draw confident conclusions from. Yeah, I mean, and that's fair. Um, And and that's why we need to properly evaluate it and properly understand where it fits and its utility and how it can best be used. And, And Dr. Misra herself says there might be a cohort of people that this is really good for and really helps with their diet, maybe people with pre-diabetes, say, for example. We just don't know that yet. So what is the evidence that they're putting forward? Because on the Zoe website, we can put images of it on the screen. It's absolutely full of what looks like science. There's a whole section on the science. As you say, there's all these grand names. Have there been proper clinical studies comparing a control group to users of the Zoe app that show provable, measurable improvements? What we've got on the website at the moment is a lot of what we call observational data. And they have a role. They tend to be what we call hypothesis generating, but they can only 
show association. And Tim Spector himself says that when he's writing in medical journals. One of the flaws or one of the issues of nutritional studies have been they are largely observational. You only need to open the paper one week, you know, coffee causes cancer, the next week it decreases heart disease. You know, red. Same with red wine. This is this is one of the issues with nutritional studies. So he's actually been on record saying that we need to be cautious about exactly these kind of studies because you find chance correlations. Oh, you know, this went up at the same time as that. It must be causal. Yeah. When actually it's not. And to be flippant, it might be like saying, well, look, more people with blonde hair smoke, therefore blonde hair causes smoking. We know that is just a. And a correlation and an association doesn't mean one leads to the other. So what kind of evidence would you like to see that isn't there yet? Are they trying to do proper studies? What's the scientific status? To be fair to Zoe, at least they are trying to do studies. And that was something that people were saying to us. They are trying in this space where a lot of companies don't even bother. They'll market and, and don't bother necessarily to do the, stu- the, the robust studies. Although they were critical that a lot of the big claims on the Zoe website, that's you know 70%, improvement in energy and belief of gut symptoms came from an internal survey that is unpublished. And we asked Zoe for that survey because we wanted to be able to assess what questions they'd asked and how they select the cohort. So even though they claim to be a big science company, they're relying on surveys for their claims. And people have been critical about that. Your The claims that you make should be based on robust science as opposed to internal unpublished surveys. That said, they are doing a clinical trial and they did point us in the direction of this and it's not published yet. But one of the things, and to be fair to them, this is a big positive, they've registered it on a database called clinicaltrials.gov. And that's a big US-based registry of clinical trials that are being done. And before you start the trial, you register it on this database. So it, so the likes of I can go and look at it and go, well, this is the study design. This is how they're doing it. This is where they're recruiting. And this was started in 2007. And so Margaret and I have gone back to look at this trial to see what they're doing. And there are concerns about the trial. So what, what they've done is they've included the whole of Zoe's paraphernalia. So all the testing, all the um, support that you get with the Zoe app, the recipes, that's in one arm of the trial. And the control group, they're just getting a leaflet with US dietary advice. Now, all that tells you is the whole of Zoe's paraphernalia is better than getting a dietary leaflet. Well, you might expect that to be true, but what it doesn't tell you is it is in all of that, that it's the specific personalized algorithm that is making the difference. A fairer trial might've been to give somebody exactly the same Zoe app but the recommendations from one group are based on the mm. personalised advice and the other group aren't personalised. Well, they get all the same advice. So they're getting all, yeah. For example. So so you wouldn't know whether it's using the algorithm or not. And that would be a better test of the how well the algorithm works as opposed to, here's a leaflet, here's all the support, all the advice, all the testing that you get. And the other issue with that is it's not blinded. So you know whether you're in the getting the leaflet or you're getting all the paraphernalia of Zoe that and so and that introduces bias so they've designed a study which compares a group of people who are being constantly reminded about eating healthily via this app yeah and whatever the recommendations they are being reminded to think about their diet all the time versus a group that just got a leaflet and then they can forget all about it quite possibly they might get better results for the, the Zoe group which they will claim is 
based on the technology, whilst it could be any number of factors that are in that stuff. Absolutely. The long and the short of it is, at least as regards the personalised advice, the glucose monitor, we don't yet have concrete evidence that it works. No. I want to talk about the faecal monitoring um, because this is one of the, maybe it's the kind of weirder end of the Zoe offer, but essentially you defecate in a, you've described it as a hammock. Mm. So you, you attach a little pouch to the to the toilet, you defecate in it, you then take a sample and put it in the post and yep. send it off and it gets analysed. Is that, yeah. that yeah. basically how it works? And the readout you get is you either have a good or bad microbiome. So your microbiome, and that is the content, all the different microbes that house in your, uh, live in your gut, it either is on the good side or the bad side. And the theory is you moderate your microbiome and that leads to all sorts of health improvements. And again, that seems to be from speaking to a range of experts, including the British Society of Gastroenterology. Now they're the, the doctors that, that mess around with our guts, if you like the British Dietetic Association, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, professor of gastroenterology is actually doing trials into this kind of area of medicine. And it is a serious area of medicine. We're not talking Dr. Gillian McKeith and, or Dr. Gillian McKeith that's kind of, you know, trying to look at our, our poo in the toilets on TV. This is a serious area of, of science and medicine. But at this stage, what they all say is we don't yet have good evidence to say what is good and bad microbiome. We don't have good evidence to get a single readout let alone what are the dietary interventions we need to do to change that to impact on health. It's another uh, quote here you've got. This is Professor Tarek Iqbal, who is a gastroenterology consultant who runs trials into faecal microbiodata transplantation in people who have bowel disorders. So he's doing this full time. And he says, quote, at the moment, there is no reason to get your microbiome generally tested. We don't have good evidence about what a normal microbiome looks like. It's more complicated than simply saying there are bad and good bacteria in the gut. So once again, it's this same feeling that people are being rushed to maybe overly simplistic conclusions, thinking they're part of a fully scientific study. And who knows whether the conclusions they reach are going to be good for them or not. Yeah, and, and we don't know that. And and. And the problem is with the Zoe trial, the way it is set up, it is not necessarily going to tell us that either. Um, so at the moment, I mean, it's a fascin fascinating area of study and, and everyone we spoke to, if and when we can, you know, advise, diet, have dietary advice based on these different metrics, we will be doing that. But, but we're just not there yet. We're quite a long way from it. So you spoke to Zoe. They have responded and they've said... Um, that their data shows members who follow Zoe advice, including gut booster foods, see an improvement in their gut microbiome score, which is a mix of good and bad microbes, although the score maybe is contentious on its own. But furthermore, the conclusion that they have quoted is drawn from this internal study of 450 members who followed their advice for 12 weeks. That's where they get the 70% have more energy, 85% improve their gut health and other improvements in the menopause systems. All of this is heavily promoted across the website as well. So we got big claims relying on quite we fragile yes. 
evidence. And again, you know, with the microbiome, there's lots of companies that are offering this. Zoe, I think it's I think it's only fair to say Zoe is not the only one. What Zoe claimed to do is they're linking all these different biometrics together or biomarkers together to give a personalized score. So and again, speaking to doctors, they were having people phone concerns from commercial micro gut microbiome testing company that they have a good and bad microbiome and what can they do about it? But there's no clinical advice to give at the moment and, and that is an issue. So do you think there's an issue about people measuring too much potentially? And it's not just the Zoe app here. There is your, your Fitbits, your Apple Watches, your heart monitors, your sleep monitors. I know at least one person, anecdotally again, who was, became so obsessed with their sleep monitor that they'd be worried all day that they hadn't had a good enough night's sleep based on the sleep score they got and it made them sleep badly the following night. You know, there's this issue of unforeseen consequences of maybe changing behaviours based on one particular thing that you can measure is itself a new health problem. Yeah, and, and there's whole areas of medicine dedicated to overdiagnosis and disease mongering. Um, I was speaking at a conference only in August about these kinds of issues. And there's a there's an idea, this this thing in medicine where you think, well, the more we measure, the more control we have. Well, not every test is useful. Not every test tells us anything meaningful that we can do for our health and actually might cause harm. You know, and we've got examples of people that maybe are measuring their blood glucose who are healthy, that are totally modifying their diet. And we don't know the long-term impacts of that. And it can create great anxiety. What we need is good science and good evaluation pinning it all. But just because something is measurable in our bodies doesn't mean it tells us anything meaningful and doesn't mean we should necessarily measure it. So in a way, the opposite approach might be healthier, which is to step back from obsessive measurement, focus on more overall intuitive living standards and lifestyle choices that your granny could have told you you know, do some exercise, eat your veg. Am I being too simplistic here? But I mean, well, Will, do you think we'll look back in generations to come and feel like those kind of old fashioned ideas were just better for overall health than this obsessive digitized technology? Oh, it's a good question. And I think each technology will have its own set of evaluations. It's not going to stop anytime soon. I mean, we've we've seen the kind of proliferation of AI and the proliferation of health tech. Um, and there will be very good uses of it. But in terms of our day-to-day -day well-being, I think at times, you know, it's an open question whether we're doing more harm than good. I don't want to bring everything back to COVID here, Deb, but it does feel, and I know you and I have discussed it and you were paying enormously close attention during that pandemic, that exactly this compulsion towards particular metrics that you could put on a chart to the exclusion of everything else to the exclusion of unforeseen side effects, was very much a feature of the COVID era where the whole of society was trained to obsess only about infection levels of COVID-19. And we're now learning about the secondary effects of some of that. Do you think that era is part of this? It's sort of, it's, it's not an accident that the Zoe app came out of a COVID app, that somehow it's turned us all into you know, armchair doctors, armchair scientists who want to have all the data ourselves and obsess about charts? Well, some things, bluntly, are much easier to measure than others. And, and that's always a challenge. You obsess about the thing you are measuring and the thing you can measure, 
sometimes and you're trained on that, your eyes are focused on that to the exclusion of a big picture, to the exclusion of things that are harder to measure, more complicated to measure, we might know the consequences of, you know, a long time down the line. And and that's always a risk. And to a certain extent, I think some of these apps, not all, I don't want to, you know, say that about all of them, that is a fault for, for, for quite a lot of them. We see what's in front of us here and now, and it can be quite hard to work out what the broader consequences are. So your message to people back home is what? Be sceptical about some of these new technologies. Dig deeper into the science. Tune into your next report for Unheard <laughs> and make sure they've sort of dug more deeply or just stay away from them altogether. What, what is the message we should take away? Well, I think it's just health, healthy scepticism, isn't it? Ask the questions. And I think part of the issue is, is you know, some of these things are incredibly complex. When I was looking at this, I, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be scooped. Someone else is going to do this stuff. And when you dig down, it's actually medicine's complicated. It, these are complex systems and we don't always understand it. Um, and so, yeah, be a bit sceptical. Ask questions about before you go out and, and buy one of them. Deb Cohen, thank you so much. Thank you. That, I think, is a really good message to end on. So if you're thinking about buying one of these things or a similar health product, we are not saying do not. We're not saying these are evil or bad, nor are we saying for the sake of clarity, that anyone is doing anything wrong or that there's any malpractice. What we are saying is there's a lot of marketing, there's a lot of famous people involved, there's a lot of money, and these fads come and suddenly everyone is taking part. Maybe we should at least just be sceptical and careful and think twice before spending £600 on something that is based on, so far, quite fragile science. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thanks for tuning in. This was unheard.